And if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Last week we kicked off this series called Home, and we're looking at family. We're looking at Ephesians 5, and uh, eventually we'll get to Ephesians 6 in this series, and, and finding application for family. Last week we, we started out and we built some foundation for family, and this week we're going to be a little more foundational. Next week we're going to start getting real practical. Next week we're going to get up in your business. Uh, the week after that we're going to get up in your business, right? So we're, so we're going to get very practical and very hands-on, very detailed as we go, but today we're going to build a little bit more of that foundation, a little bit more of a picture of what God has in mind when he's talking about family. In fact, I'm going to start today with the end. Uh, I'm going to start with what I'm calling my take-home point today. This is what I want you to remember. This is what I want you to write down, put it in your phone, whatever it is. We're going to repeat this throughout our message, but this is the point of today's message, and that point is this. The world is desperate for healthy families who live out the transformational power of the gospel. In fact, would you put that up on the screen for us? The world is desperate for healthy families who live out the transformational power of the gospel. I know it's kind of wordy. It's kind of a lot to process, so we'll take a second and we'll just kind of park here. Um, The reality is we live in a world where healthy families are not the norm. You know what I'm talking about? Have you experienced, maybe you've experienced yourself, maybe you've been around a family that isn't healthy. Now, now normally when you grow up, you don't know if your family's healthy or not, it's just your family, right? Like, you don't know, that's just, you just think whatever you experience is normal. And I remember when I was a kid, I was probably, I don't know, seven or eight years old, there was a, a kid at my church named Randy that I was friends with, and Randy invited me over to his house, and I've always been an extrovert, like I'm a people person, I want to be around people, so little Troy was very excited to go to Randy's house, right? And I went over there, and I remember how toxic the family was. Like it, like it stood out to me. Uh, and my family was very far from perfect, right? But there was just, there was anger in that home. There was disrespect in that home to a very large degree. I mean, even Randy, my friend who I loved, who I cared about, like he spoke to his mom in, like, in a way that I'm like, man, if I talked to my mom like that, I would be dead. Like, like what are you doing? What is happening? Like, there's no way my dad would allow this. Uh, and, and I remember at a very early age, my first exposure to an extremely unhealthy family. And the reality is that unhealthy family is far more often the norm than the healthy family is in our generation. The unfortunate reality is that can often be the case even inside the church. And so today we're going to talk about vision. Today we're going to talk about the picture. We're going to talk about the ideal of what God has designed family to be. And as we get into this, I realize there's going to be some families represented in this room where you are very far from what we're talking about. You, you are not in a healthy place. You are in a very unhealthy place. You are in a place that is toxic. And if that's you, I want to address you first and foremost off the top. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This, this message is not here to shame you. This message is not here to beat you down. This message is not here to say that you are unworthy. It's none of those things. What this message is for is to raise the bar of expectations that just because you may be at an unhealthy place right now doesn't mean you've got to stay there. 
that God has a vision, God has a purpose, God has a design for your family that can look different than what you've grown up in, that can look different than what you've experienced so far, that can look different than maybe what you are living in right now. And so I want to encourage you, if you are in that unhealthy place, God wants to speak to you today. God wants to breathe on you today. God wants to begin healing some things today. And don't get me wrong, we're not just going to do one message and you're going to take some notes and you're going to walk out of here and boom, everything's happy. Right? That's not the way that it works. It's not the way anything works. But I do believe today can be a, the beginning of a step in a new direction. Today can be the beginning of pursuing something different than what you've experienced so far. A little bit later on in my childhood, we made some friends, named them McCall's. Uh, and, and I don't remember the dad's name. I remember the mom's name. Her name was Raquel. She was from Brazil. Uh, and I was friends with them primarily because they had a son named Paul who was my age. And so he was tall, and I called him Tall Paul McCall, right? And then something li- cheesy like that sticks with you. I- I've carried that out. I remember Tall Paul McCall. I haven't spoken to him. I have no idea where he's at in life or what, it, what it's like. But I do know this. I went over to their house a number of times, stayed at their house a number of times, and there was always peace in their home. And it was a place you wanted to be. It was a place that was, that was encouraging, that was life-giving. There was one difficult experience I ever had over there. They tried to make me eat fish, and I grew up in a home where we didn't eat fish, and I pushed back pretty hard on that, so I had a little trauma on there. Uh, but, but man, it was, they were good to me, even in that situation. Like, they were just good people. They weren't perfect people, but they loved Jesus, they loved each other. They loved their kids. They loved people, right? They, they loved bringing others into their home and showing them hospitality. And that's powerful. In fact, I think the world is desperate for that right now. I think the world is desperate for homes that look like Jesus. I think the world is desperate. It's hungry for homes, for families that that don't have it all figured out. They don't have it all together. They don't act like they do. They walk in authenticity. But man, there's a foundation of peace. There's a foundation of love. There's a foundation that, man, we're going to get through whatever we face together because God loves us and we love him and we can do this. And so today I want to, to paint that picture for you. I want to create that hope, that goal, that aspiration in your family that your family can look like that. That, that. that as we get to that place, as we pursue that place, we actually get to open up our home and invite others in. We actually get to show and demonstrate hospitality to others. And as we do, they see Jesus in it. So today we're talking, let me, let me be very clear, we're talking about peaceful homes. We're not talking about perfect homes, Right? No, none of us have a perfect home. None of us are going to have a perfect home on this side of heaven. One day we'll have a perfect home, and that'll be incredible. This is not that day. So, so I'm not trying to, to place these pressure and expectations on you of perfection, but I am trying to paint a picture that, man, God's calling us to a, to a place of peace. God's calling us to something that's going to be attractive to the world, attractive to the hurting, attractive to the broken. In fact, one thing that that my wife and I have discovered through years of doing youth ministry and and pastoral ministry, many times we we know a young person, we watch them growing up, and they're from a very, very broken home, a very damaged home, a very difficult home. And almost without fail, those people will end up marrying someone or pursuing a relationship with someone who had a very healthy family. 
Like there's something just attractive about that family that they didn't have, that they so badly want. In fact, sometimes we've even seen people make mistakes where they, they chose the family and maybe the family was good, but the individual they chose wasn't. Uh, and so you got to be careful with that. But, but there's just something magnetic about a healthy family. There's just something attractive, especially to the ones who haven't experienced it who haven't seen it. And so it's important for us to pursue that. So with all that being said, let's go to Ephesians 5. What we're going to do today is is we're just going to journey through a a passage of about 13 verses. And we're going to read a couple of verses. We're going to talk and teach on those verses. We're going to go on to the next verses, etc. Remember, Paul is, is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's kind of building his preface to the family section. He's going to explicitly start talking about family in verse 22. He's going to talk about husbands and wives, and he's going to talk about parents and children, and we're going to get to those things next week and the week after. But, but he's building his foundation for it, talking about God's people, what God's people are supposed to look like. He says this, starting in verse 8. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He says, Before you knew Jesus, you didn't just live in darkness, you were darkness, right? You ever been in a home and it just, you you felt the darkness? You experienced the darkness in that home. He said, no, you're not darkness anymore. Now you are the light in the Lord. And now he says, live as children of the light. So not only are we light when we come to Jesus, but we have a decision to make. Are we going to live as children of the light? In other words, some of us may have received the light of Jesus, but we're still living like we live in darkness. And that's not the place that God wants for us. Have you ever walked into a a dark room and somebody's reading in the room? You're like, dude, turn the lights on. What's wrong with you? Right? Like you've seen that person who's just reading in the dark and you know what they say? They say, oh, it's fine. I'm not having any problem reading. You know why that is? Because your your eye actually adjusts to the level of light. Right? Scientifically what happens is your pupil expands and it takes in more light. And so you can read in the dark You get comfortable in the dark. I wonder how many of us as God's people have adjusted and acclimated to the darkness around us so much that we don't even realize we're reading in a dark room. How many of us have become so comfortable with lies, with deceitfulness, that we don't even know that we're telling a lie anymore? How many of us have gotten so used to gossip, to hearing gossip and repeated gossip, that we don't even know that there's something wrong with this conversation? We think we're doing something helpful. We think we're sharing paraquests, right? You know why that happens? Because we adjust to the darkness around us. How many of us are, are looking at nasty images on the internet on a regular basis, and we don't even feel any conviction about it? Because our eye has adjusted to the darkness. Paul writes to God's people. He writes to Christian families, and he says, you are not darkness anymore. You are light. Live as children of the light. He says, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then he says, and find out what pleases the Lord. If you're a believer in this room, there's something in you that wants to please the Lord. If you're a believer in Jesus right now, watching online, I believe there's something inside of you that desires to please the Lord. And so Paul says, find out what that is. 
How do we find that out, right? We get in the word. We spend time in prayer. We communicate and have relationship with God's Holy Spirit because we got to know what pleases the Lord. Then he goes on, verse 11. He says, have nothing to do. Everybody say nothing. He says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. He says it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. He says, man, we, we, we got to stop talking about this stuff. We, we, we got to stop engaging in it. We got to stop joking about it. Like, there's got to be a difference between darkness and light. Doesn't mean that we hate people who are lost. Doesn't mean we put them down. Doesn't mean we shun them. Doesn't mean that we don't associate with them. But it says we don't associate with the stuff that reflects the darkness. There's got to be a difference between us and the world. Then he goes on in verse 13. He says this. He says, everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. I love this statement. He says, everything that, that comes into the light it gets visible, right? You turn the light on, you start seeing things that you didn't see before. The, the other night, I was walking in the dark, and I stepped on something that my children had left out. Uh, I know nobody else has ever experienced this pain, uh, but, th- but there's something. The dark creates opportunities for pain. The dark creates opportunities to not see something coming around the corner, right? There's something about light that brings protection, that brings peace, that brings joy, man. It just changes the mood when you turn a light on in a room, right? Like all of a sudden it's illuminated. And so this powerful, so Paul says, look, when, when you bring something out into the light, it becomes visible. But he says, not only that, he says, everything that is illuminated. So everything that Jesus shines on actually becomes a light itself. In the book of John, there's famously seven I am statements of Jesus, right? I am is the, the actual personal name of God, Yahweh. And so seven times John declares, I am, this is who I am. I am God. I am God's son. I've come for you. And then he tells us something about his nature, something about his character, something about his role. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life, right? He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. There's one more. I just listed six of them. He says, I am the light of the world. What's interesting about Jesus' declaration that he's the light of the world is that it's the only one where he doesn't just declare it about himself he actually declares it about his people. Jesus doesn't say, I am the resurrection and the life. You are the resurrection and the life. That wouldn't be true, right? Only Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say, I am the way and the truth and the life. You are the way and the truth and the life. That wouldn't be true. I'm not the way. I'm not the truth. I'm not the life. Only he is. But with this one exception, he says, I am the light of the world. And he says, You are the light of the world. In fact, I want to show it to you in Matthew chapter 5. It's in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. Look at the person next to you and say, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. He says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. We've had a number of people make the connection since we moved over to this building. We're city church and we're sitting up on top of a hill. We have the opportunity to be a city on a hill. 
right? It says a city on a hill cannot be hidden. The whole community is going to see that. This whole surrounding area is going to be aware of it. There's too much light coming out of this city. He says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it out on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the room. Verse 16, he applies it to us. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In this one way, we get to take on the nature of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And he says, not only am I the light of the world, I want you to be the light of the world. So Paul puts it this way. He says in verse 13, if you put that back up, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. What if your family could be a light? What if your home could actually be light? What if it could shine the love of Jesus in the darkness? What if it could be a beacon of hope to the hurting, the broken, the devastated, the failed, the shamed? What if your home could be that, I believe, God desires your home to be that. I believe God intended for your home to be that. I believe God declares it that you are the light of the world. He says, I want you to to let your good deeds, the peace in your home, the way you treat one another, to, to be seen by the world and to bring glory to your Father in heaven. Verse 14, back to Ephesians 5, moving forward. Paul says, this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You see, Paul teaches that before we come to Jesus, we're actually dead in our sins. Jesus didn't just come into our life to make good people better or to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people live. It's far deeper, far greater, far more significant than many times what we realize. He came to bring us light. He says, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. A home of peace, a healthy home, a home of joy. Again, not a perfect home, but a healthy home is a place where Jesus shines. It's a place where others can look, the neighbors, the neighborhood, coworkers, kids from school, whatever it may be, man, where they can look to that and they can see hope. They can get a picture of God's design in the midst of a very broken, very fallen generation. Last year in 2020, we felt that the, the word God had given us was awakening. Paul says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead. Man, wake up. We've got something better God's calling us to. Wake up. Let's not settle for, for the typical American family. Let's not settle for the, for the typical family in your neighborhood or your school district or whatever it may be. Man, let's pursue something greater that God has for us. Now, let me say this. I, I know many of us may be here today, and, and you're following Jesus, but your spouse isn't. Or, or you're all in, and your spouse is barely in uh, when it comes to the kingdom. You can't fix your spouse. You can't create in them a a desire to follow Jesus. All you can do is take responsibility for the part of it that that God's given you. Man, that, that you would be a light, that you would put that in if you've got children. Man, put that into them as best as you possibly can and pray, pray, pray that God gets a hold of that spouse. 
Pray that God encourages your spouse that even watching your good deeds and the way that you love, the way that you live, would attract them to to discover the fullness of what God has for them as well. Verse 15, Paul says, be very careful then how you live. He says, be careful. Can't just go through life, can't just go through the motions, can't just see, see what comes. Take it as it comes at me. He says, you've got to be careful. You've got to be intentional. You've got to be aware how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Your home has an opportunity to be a light. Your family has an opportunity to be a light. Your marriage has an opportunity. Your, your relationship with your kids, your parenting, whatever place God's given you in that spectrum, he says, you've got opportunities. Now let's make the most of them. And then he tells us why. He said this 2,000 years ago, but I think the same statement is true today. He says, because the days are evil. So there's stuff going on in the generation that doesn't look like Jesus. There's stuff going on out there that is, that is hurtful and hateful. In fact, this weekend I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a dad and he's raising his kids, and his kids are getting close to the time to go to school, and, and he was just sharing how, how scared he is because of this generation, man, that there's so much junk and so much sin and so many lies out there from the enemy. He's like, man, I'm just, I'm just scared for my kids, and I tried to encourage him. I shared a verse that I used all the time when I was in youth ministry that, that I believe wholeheartedly is true for this generation. It's from Romans chapter 5, and it says this. It says, where sin abounds grace much more abounds right that God's not caught off guard by a sinful generation God's not surprised or intimidated by a culture that is going in sinful directions God says look I'm ready for it I'm prepared for it and when sin abounds I'm telling you my grace is going to abound even more some of us need to claim that for our family Some of us have some abounding sin in our family or some rebellious kids who turn from God. Some of us have some some situations. We need to start standing on that, that where sin abounds, the grace of God much more abounds. That he's got abundant grace for this generation. He's got abundant grace for my family. He's got abundant grace for the kids that are growing up in, in whatever foolishness they may be growing up in right now. It is not so hard for God to reach them. God's arm is not too short to save. His grace is abundant. Amen? Amen. So Paul says, you got to be wise. He says, don't live as unwise, but live as wise. Be very careful how you live. He says, make the most of every opportunity. What opportunities has God given your family? What, what open doors has God given you to, to be a light? both in your home to those who are closest to you, because that's what we're talking about, but, but as your home gets healthy, as your home gets set right, that now it, it, it's illuminated, and that light spreads from your home and encourages and saves others. Remember our take-home point today. The world is desperate for healthy families who live out the transformational power of the gospel. They want to see this stuff at work. In fact, I'm convinced that our generation doesn't really have a, gener- a, a lack of hearing about Jesus. I think our generation has a lack of seeing people live out true relationship with Jesus. 
I don't think there's a ton of people, certainly not in Mississippi, that haven't heard that Jesus died from their sins. Are there some? I'm sure there are. The vast majority of people have, have heard the gospel. They just haven't seen it work. And what's truly going to make a difference in our generation is when God's people rise up and we take hold of the calling he's placed on us to live differently, to live separately, to get rid of the darkness in our own lives, to deal with this junk that's in us and let the light shine through us. That's what God's calling us to because the world is desperate for healthy families who live out the transformational power of the gospel. We got four more verses in Ephesians and then one more small passage and we'll be done. Stick with me. Paul says, therefore, do not be foolish. Paul says, don't be dumb, right? Aren't you grateful for, for, for teaching that sometimes just gets in your face, just gets real? He's like, don't be stupid. Uh, but understand what the Lord's will is. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. So he makes a stand that we find throughout the New Testament that drunkenness is sin. Again, contrasting darkness and light. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. He says, but I got something better for you. He says, but instead be filled with the Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, he says. And then he goes on, he says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. I know we come in here and we worship, and I love our worship experience. I love the talent God's placed in this house and the heart that, that our worship team has to, to bring glory to God. But if all our worship ever is, is words that somebody else wrote, it's just scratching the surface. Man, that should be the catalyst for us to begin to express adoration to God. But Paul says, sing and make music from your heart. There's a song in you. There's words in you, and I'm goofy with my kids and I'm constantly making up songs and coming up with silly things and sometimes they make fun of me and occasionally they love me for it and we, we, we have a good time with it but man when's the last time you wrote a song to God I don't mean you sat down with pen and paper or notes on a piano or a guitar because I can't read music or do anything with music but I can lift my voice I can sing something out that God has done for me, that God is doing in my life. When, one thing that I think creates an atmosphere that's healthy, that, that, that's not toxic, that's not broken, is worship. I think it's powerful. I think worship changes the atmosphere. We see it all the time, right? When, when Saul was tormented by demons, what did he do? He, he needed a harpist. Give me a harpist. Give me somebody who can play some music. And David comes and he plays the harp and, and he plays the demons away. Literally. Right? He literally penetrates the spiritual atmosphere with praise. If your family is broken, if your family is struggling, if your family is just plateaued and mediocre, bring some praise into your house. I get so happy sometimes I, I come home from work and my wife is cooking dinner or getting something ready and, and she'll have some worship music playing on our Amazon Alexa. Now, we don't call it Alexa because we have an Alexa and that's crazy, right? Uh, so, so we call ours Echo. Uh, so, so she'll have something queued up on the Amazon Echo and I'll come home and here's some Elevation playing, here's some Torn Wells playing. Like, there's an atmosphere she's creating in our home for our kids to enter into worship. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't, and sometimes they love it, and sometimes, Mom, I don't like this song. Right, like, like again, this is, 
This is a peaceful family, not a perfect family. Like, we, we don't have this all mastered by any means, but there's something in the home that, man, I come home and there's peace because Jesus is being lifted up because he's being magnified because my kids are entering in and singing along and they might not know the whole song but they'll know a piece of it right and they'll sing out on that piece and they might even sing it wrong and then it's cute and adorable right but but there's something that happens as it's getting into their spirit is there worship in your home if there's not I'm not here to tell you you're a failure I am here to tell you you're missing a very, very powerful component that can change an atmosphere. When I tuck the kids in to bed at night, we read with them and, and we pray with them. Each of them takes turns praying and sometimes it's powerful and amazing and sometimes I don't want to pray, right? So, so again, don't, don't think that we've got this thing somehow master. Like, man, it's a pastor's family, so they got it going on. No, we don't. Uh, but, but many times after we read and pray, we'll sing, and there's a couple little kids worship songs that they like to sing and they want to do it and then they want to sing them faster, you know, and they want to do these things and, and we sing Amen, Praise the Lord and we sing I Got a River of Life. Those are kind of our two go-to songs. We might do some other ones from time to time, but those are our fun little songs. I'm not saying you got to sing those songs with your kid when you tuck them in, but I am saying figure out a way to incorporate worship. Paul says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Lord. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If that's something that maybe seems a little foreign to you, maybe seems even a little cheesy, you're like, how do I even begin that? Um, I'd encourage you, take advantage of City Church Sounds. Uh, Hunter, part of his vision for our worship team is, is to empower you guys to worship, not just when they're up here on stage, but throughout the week. And so what he's done is he, he takes the time every quarter to go to Apple Music, to go to Spotify, to go to YouTube, and to put together our playlist. This is our music. These are the songs that we sing. They've even got archives of, of songs that we have sung and, and other things there. Find those. Look for City Church Sounds. Um, and just, just let that start playing in your home in your car. Start changing the atmosphere and watch the impact that that makes. Psalm 126 puts it this way, and I love it. It says, our mouths were filled with laughter. I think there should be laughter in our homes. Our tongues with songs of joy. I think there should be songs of joy in our homes. He says, then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. When that light begins to shine in your home, when that transformational power of the gospel begins to click, the world is going to look and they're going to say, wow, the Lord has done great things for them, right? There's power in it. And then he said, David says it this way, he says, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. That's the picture right there. Don't get me wrong. There's going to be rough days in your family right? There's going to be days where nothing seems to click right. There's going to be times where, where husband and wife are not on the same page, or kids and parents are not on the same page. This is not perfection. But I'm talking about a foundation of peace. I'm talking about the default mode, right? There's always going to be, like, there's going to be great days in unhealthy families, and there's going to be terrible days in great families, but I'm talking about what's the default? What's the norm? If you walk in on just a random Wednesday afternoon, what's the temperature? What's the atmosphere? God is calling us to pursue light. 
to work on removing darkness and watching something transformational happen through us and in us. The world is desperate for healthy families who live out the transformational power of the gospel. That's our take-home point. I hope you can take that home. I hope you can begin to pursue it and believe for it in your life. Let me share this very quickly as we get ready to pray. Homes filled with peace and joy as we walk in the Spirit. Remember, he said, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. As we're filled with the Holy Spirit, as we walk in the Holy Spirit, not only are those things attractive to the world, but even more importantly than that, they're pleasing to God. Remember, he says, find out what pleases God. I want to please God. I want to make the most of every opportunity. I want God to look at my marriage and be proud. I want to look at my parenting and be proud. Not that I'll ever be at a place where he's not saying, hey, you need to work on this. Hey, let's, let's make an adjustment over here. Hey, you need to step up and man up in this area. That's always, always going to be the case because he's always calling me from glory to glory, right? He's taking me to new levels, and that's the, the purpose and the idea. But, man, I want a peaceful home, a home that pleases God. If we flee from darkness, make the most of our opportunities, we will see the kingdom of light invade our homes. And as it invades our homes, it's going to spill out to the people around us, the homes around us, the neighbors around us, the co-workers around us, the, the fellow students around us. Homes filled with peace and joy as we walk in the Spirit, they please God and they're attractive to the world. Would you pray?